doorways. Can it be that I've opened too many of them? For days now, yes, and especially most nights, I felt the shadow of some lurking fear, falling Stygian across my shoulder. Only I could have sensed its sinister presence, for only I am the Sorcerer Supreme. And yet, the Sorcerer Supreme is but a man, treading warily through the unknown realms of the gods. My name is Conrad, and welcome to the 12th episode of Stranger by the Dozen, a weekly podcast where we recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, 12 issues at a time. This week, I'd like to welcome back Duncan to the show. Welcome back, dude! What, what? No, really. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You can find the show on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, or in any fine podcast app. You can contact the podcast at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com at... On Twitter, at StrangerByThe12, that's StrangerByThe12. On Tumblr, at StrangerByTheDozen.tumblr.com. Or on Facebook or Instagram by searching StrangerByTheDozen. Give the show a five-star review, and I'll read the review on the air. Also, I really want to thank everyone who's liked the Facebook page over the last week or so. It's really gratifying to see people getting involved with the show. So if you want to read along with the podcast, the second half of the issues this week are... are on Marvel Unlimited, and all of them can be found in either Essential Doctor Strange Volume 3, Marvel Masterworks Doctor Strange Volume 5, and then the Defenders issues can be found in Essential Defenders Volume 2 or Marvel Masterworks Defenders Volume 4. And just a general note, the Defenders right now in our timeline is a monthly comic, and Doctor Strange's solo comic is every other month, so there's a lot more Defenders content than just Solo Strange. I'm trying to keep things roughly chronological, like when things come out, I'll sort of group them together by storyline and things like that, but there's just more Defender stuff going on. Uh, I think the Defender stuff is fun in a really crazy way, So it's de- and we're on the cusp of really ridiculous Defender stuff, and I think it's going to be really great. <laughs> so let's get to the issues. Definitely. All right. So we start with Marvel Team-Up number 35 from July 1975. It's called... Blood Church. Uh, you said that wrong. It's pronounced Blood Church. Oh, I'm sorry. Blood Church. Uh, Jerry Conway author, Sal Buscema layouts, Vince Coletta finished art, Charlotte Jetter letterer, Phil Rash colorist, and Len Wine editor. Is that is that stained glass window? No, that's blood. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... A couple things before we get to the action. Uh, first of all, while this is a Marvel team-up, uh, the team-up this week, this or this issue is with the Human Torch, not Spider-Man. So, like in the '70s, Marvel was still like worried about superheroes being able to appear in several comic books at once. They've since stopped caring about that. Oh yeah. And so that proved a challenge for someone like Spider-Man, who often appears in two or three books in a month. So they'd sort of cheat this by having someone else guest star an issue of Team Up if there was like a giant-sized Spider-Man coming out that month or something like that. And so that's why we have Johnny Storm this month. You gotta take that. Uh, yeah, you know, or just like, ah, Spider-Man's out, bring that torch in here, whatever. <laughs> so the other thing is that this issue is actually the end of a three-part arc where the members of the Defenders teamed up with Spider-Man. So first, uh, Nighthawk and then Valkyrie were featured in a, te- a team-up 33 and 34, both of them fighting a bad guy who was called the Looter back in the 60s, but's now going by Meteor Man, and no relation to Meteor Man from the 90s movie, I'll have you know. <laughs> yeah, that guy's now called the Looter, though. It's really odd. Oh, my God. It's, you know, life imitates art. <laughs> but so this Meteor Man would fly around stealing stuff with a big weather balloon strapped to his back to, like, fly, basically, and... Team Up 34 ended with the looter or Meteor Man being defeated, but this evil dude with a devil goatee sort of looked on in the background. And after that fight, Spider-Man and Valkyrie disappeared, and we start this comic with Doctor Strange looking for them. And here we go, all right? And he is. Yeah, using his crystal ball, buddy. So he, uh, after confronting with, Cl- after sorry, after consulting with Clea, who wears her blouse open completely to her, to the belt, hubba hubba. She doesn't even have buttons on the blouse. It's true. It's just sort of like, here we go, buddy. <laughs> uh, Doctor Strange decides to bring the Human Torch on the case of the stolen Valk of the stolen Valkyrie, and it's missing Spider Man, I guess, because 
the Human Torch is uh, Spider-Man's best friend, sort of in uh, in general. It's well known across the Marvel universe. I wish that they, they would stick it. with that sort of like buddy system. I mean, it's good. You know, it's close. It's the closest thing to leaving a note. Like if I'm if I disappear from superhero purposes, um, contact this superhero. You know? Yeah, totally. Though. Being Spider-Man's friend doesn't seem to help Spider-Man not be considered a criminal. Like, the beloved Human Torch's word is not enough to get J. Jonah Jameson off Spider-Man's back, you know? Yeah, the Human Torch is just in with, like, a rough crowd now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's he's slumming, I guess. <laughs> but so the Human Torch and Doctor Strange bump into each other over Manhattan, and Strange sends the, sends the Human Torch to investigate Meteor Man's apartment in Harlem, while Strange goes to talk to the cops and try to interrogate Meteor Man. That's a plan. Break. <laughs> so uh, Johnny Torch, so Johnny, not Johnny Torch, Johnny Storm flies into the apartment, and uh, we see that he's wearing the red Human Torch costume, which is an homage to Golden Age Human Torch, who was an android, and it doesn't matter. Anyway. <laughs> I thought it was just like a, you know, like a, a well-thought-out, stylistic design choice. I mean, it is, but it's a stylistic design choice that's paying homage just to a previous version of the Human Torch, you know? When I guess he was a robot. Uh, it's Golden Age stuff, man. Don't even try to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> so, in the apartment, Johnny is met by this little blonde kid who says he's seen the Valkyrie and he was set, sent by Jeremiah. Who's Jeremiah? Oh, I'm glad you asked, because he just showed up. Uh, this guy looks so weird. He's he's yeah. wearing just like a onesie or like long johns with a really like tall um, like cuff around his neck and yeah he's basically he's his he, his collar is popped to above his ears yeah and he's got a flaming cross on his chest and it, yeah with swords on it, it too so you figure out that there's swords eventually but. Right now, they just look like he's got an X over him. Or maybe a really weird, like, pectoral muscle pattern or something like that. Yeah. Because the thing about, so, a couple other, like, the other thing is, like, he's, so he's the guy with the evil devil goatee last, that was at the end of the last issue. Mm -hmm. He's got a huge widow's peak. Yeah. Devil goatee. White gloves. But the big thing is that he's, like, uh, barrel chested. He's a big guy. He's with, like... There's a way that a really toned and muscular guy looks, and then there's sort of a real-life guy who sort of is probably pretty strong, but isn't, doesn't have any gym muscles, you know what I mean? <laughs> and that's Jeremiah. Like, he's, he's got muscles, but he's not what you'd call, like, trim. Yeah. And his spandex jumpsuit is really just calling attention to all, to all of it, you know? Yeah, that in addition just, to, like, weird shading all over his body. He just desperately needs, like, a cape... And maybe something like a belt or something like that. He looks bad. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he also looks bad because he's got eye beams that shoot and knock out the Human Torch. Yes, <laughs> that's a good transition. <laughs> Made better by calling it out. Hey, listen, I got to take my wins where I can. <laughs> uh, so, meanwhile, Strange is talking, is trying to talk to the Meteor Man in prison. But before he can, he kind of receives a psychic message from Valkyrie. And he astral projects and sort of flies through a weird universe. And he finds Valkyrie being attacked by demons or something. He fights them off with his magic powers. And they're like, no, the girl belongs to us. We're crazy demons. And Doctor Strange is like, no, and liberates her. But then as he does, Valkyrie sort of screams out and fades away to nothingness back to our Earth. This is a weird... A weird part, like it didn't make sense in the frame of the re of the rest of the um, story, I guess. Yeah, I feel like they were just like, oh shoot, this is like a Stephen Strange comic still. Yeah, we gotta Doctor Strange is here. We gotta weird this out a little bit. <laughs> He's been allotted six pages. Right. So meanwhile, uh, Johnny Storm kind of comes to he he comes to twice. Yeah. Over the and both times he finds himself basically tied to a post. It's the craziest thing. So they tie him up and he's like, "Oh, wait, flame on, ropes are gone, dummies." And then he gets eye blasted, which I have no sympathy for him in that. But then they tie him up again and he's like, "Uh, flame on," and the ropes burn up again. Like, yeah. He definitely took two bites the apple. And like where he is is sort of in this uh, I don't know, church or warehouse or, you know, church type building and Valkyrie's there on like, and she's tied to an altar and all this stuff. And there's a bunch of like, 
you know, clearly brainwashed folks sort of looking on at the, at the sacrifice. Yeah. So Johnny Storm comes to the second time and manages to human torch successfully this time, <laughs> dodging eye and hand beams. And he realizes, I, and like he kind of realizes somehow that Jeremiah is drawing power from his cultist guys. So he like uses his fire to separate the cultists from Jeremiah, and Jeremiah loses his powers and stuff. I think it's so weird using fire to like protect people. Like not only it's death. It's definitely like the fire goes out by the end of this issue. Like it's not it's, it's not the inferno you think it would be. There's a there's a part that's even crazier where he's like, Oh, I realize that these are hypnotized people and I can't like hurt them. So he sucks the fire up. Like I didn't know he could do that. I thought he just like you know, that was his deal, it was like making stuff catch flame. Mm-hmm. No, he's got man, all these any Fantastic Four character can do weird stuff at any time. Like don't you can't think about you can't be too like like hard yeah, on that. At least his power is like still revolving around fire, so I'll, I'll cut him some slack. Yeah. So anyhow, at this point, uh, Doctor Strange shows up, and Doctor Strange is like, "Hey, man, like you aren't actually a magical dude or a demon guy or anything like that. You're just a mutant who can suck the mental energy out of people and then channel it into like beams and stuff." He literally just waves his hand. There's a panel with him just waving his hand, and all of a sudden, Jeremiah's just gone. Yeah, he uh, he teleports Jeremiah to a hell dimension mm-hmm. where he's presumably killed by demons. Our hero. I don't know if this is better or worse than brainwashing. Yeah, he's being like <laughs> torn to pieces by all these different monsters. And just so you know, this is in fact the last appearance of Jeremiah Ouch. in the Marvel Universe. That's rough. Yeah, but anyhow, uh, you know, Valkyrie uh, comes to... And sort of feels embarrassed that she was just a damsel in distress this issue. And everyone else agrees to not talk about it. Yeah, and it ends with the craziest, like, promo ever. When it says, next, Spidey meets Frankenstein. Like, what are you doing, guys? I mean, this is like Marvel in the 70s, man. Yeah. We can't, honestly, we can't throw too much, like, shade or anything like that. Because... In episode 15 of the podcast, there's going to be an extended storyline where Doctor Strange fights Dracula. I'm actually kind of looking forward to that, though. It's going to be good. And I guess, you know, all my qualms aside, like I think I would be down to see a Spider-Man-Frankenstein fight. I just feel like that Spider-Man has that in the bag. Yeah, but I mean, I forget if Frankenstein's a good guy or a bad guy in the comics at this point. You know, well, They could be fighting somebody. It's just like the classic thing where two heroes don't realize that they're both heroes. Uh, yeah, I mean that's how that's basically the modus operandi of this Marvel team up comic. Yeah, right? serious. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, let's uh, let's move on. So hey, so before we get too far into uh, this next Defenders episode, I feel like I just want to give like a general um, I don't know content warning. Yep. For the next four issues, basically for like WTF race, race stuff. If you basically if you have trouble with. Uh, 70s uh, white liberal with his heart in the right place, but who gets things very weird. Just skip ahead to part two of this episode. Because these next these next couple Defenders episodes are kind of rough. They are not kind of. They're very rough, and no one comes out looking clean. There, it's just a lot of choices. Yeah. But so we start with uh, Defenders 22 from April 1975. Uh, fangs of fire and blood. Uh, I'm sorry, you mean fangs of fire and blood. So much better at this than me. <laughs> Steve Gerber, writer. Sal Buscema, layouts. Mike Esposito, finished art. Charlotte Jetter, letterer. Stan Goldberg, colorist. Len Wein, editor. <laughs> so uh, we start this issue with uh, Valkyrie in full angst mode about her personality situation. She's taking a walk through lower Manhattan. Rightly so. It's great, yeah. I mean, we get into a lot more in sort of the next storyline when a, a, a certain character shows up, mm-hmm. who's the worst. But <laughs> she's walking through Lower Manhattan. She breaks up a knife fight by bringing a sword to it, and then responds to a scream from a nearby tenement, saving a baby that is being menaced in its crib by a cat-sized rat, this which is pretty massive. Tough. Yeah, and Valkyrie just cold stabs it. It's pretty awesome with her, like, with a dragon fang, the sword. Yeah, you see, like, the shadow of her stabbing it, like, against a wall. It's actually one of the few times that Valkyrie actually stabs somebody with her sword. (laughs) 
just because the comics code and stuff, she can't really slice people up that much. For sure. Maybe she didn't even stab it. We don't know. I'm pretty sure she did. <laughs> There's also a weird thing going on. They don't like tell you, but like the, the apartment building is like freezing. It's got no heating going on. But yeah, I thought this was pretty cool. They didn't tell us that you just see um, like the icy breath coming out of everybody's yeah, mouth it's like, when they talk to each other. It's like a weird sort of like artistic choice, but I think it's cool. Yeah. So Val is shocked by the conditions that this lady, Elena, and her baby are living in. So she takes her to Dr. Strange's to get help. Uh, meanwhile, not too far away, Kyle Richmond. Yeah. Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, is Bruce waning it up at a swanky dinner party in his penthouse. And by Bruce waning it up, I mean he's brooding while other people have fun. Yep. He shouldn't have thrown the party, honestly. One other thing to note is that his hair is blonde here, and it will be red in later episodes. Oh my gosh, you're right. I didn't even catch that. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things in the, like, the letter columns and all these defenders take them to task where they ask <laughs> one of the superpowers is hair is changing hair color and stuff. <laughs> oh, that's so good. But so um, a socialite lady comes out and basically give, lets us know that he's been like this since Trish lost her arm in Giant Size Defenders 4 at the end of last episode, and then brings him out of the cold to be chatted up by a developer named Harold Holloman. Uh, Holloman has a business deal that he's trying to get started, but Richmond's like, no dice. Talk to my man Pennyworth. He does my business stuff. <laughs> Yep. And then Richmond just kind of pieces out in general and takes a cab to the Sanctum Sanctorum. So at the Sanctum, the Doctor Strange crew, you know, Clay and Wong, plus Val and the Hulk are entertaining Elena and her baby. Hulk loves this baby so much. Yeah, there's two things here, right? So first, I thought it was interesting that Doctor Strange's like solution to the problems at Elena's apartment were to like, call the Board of Health instead of punching somebody. Or like you turning know? it into a good apartment. Yeah, oh, well, I mean, yeah, okay. <laughs> but I just thought the message of, like, you can't punch out poverty was kind of an interesting one, I guess. I think that that's always, like, really important in comics, like, that they take the time to sort of address some of these problems without just sort of waving a wand, because it's the people who are dealing with this kind of stuff, it, it makes it harder, I think, for them yeah. to to sit through something like that. Like, yeah, it would be nice if I could just, like, fix my apartment with magical powers, but, but for even someone as Stephen, like Stephen Strange that you admire and like look up to, I think it's, it's cool to, to see him having to deal with it through more grounded means. Yeah. But the other thing on a more nerdier note is what you're saying. Like, I thought he was the Hulk because he was angry, right? Nah. <laughs> Clearly not. But, but the Hulk is like full on, like making funny faces at this baby and having a lot of fun. Quote, baby smiles make Hulk happy. Right. I just, I guess I have the loosest understanding of what the rules for the Hulk are in this comic at this point, but it seems weird. I want to see a spinoff with Hulk and a baby. That normally is the worst formula for any format, but I think this could work. One Hulk and a baby? Yeah. You know, the baby's like getting into trouble and narrowly like avoiding like horrific uh, events and Hulk is trying to chase the baby down. I'm pretty much just recreating like old Animaniacs episodes, but I don't care. <laughs> so, meanwhile, as this sort of friendly scene takes place, there's someone looking out the window, or at the window looking in on the sanctum. Um, even as a shadowy guy in a trench coat, I can tell this guy is terrible. There's like, oh my goodness, there's like three sets of people that are uh, looking through this window. <laughs> but so, as Kyle Richmond uh, shows pulls up, he yells at this guy, and, that, and the guy runs away. Uh-huh. So now Kyle Richmond is looking through the window, but he goes well, inside. He, he goes inside. There's a pretty funny panel where he walks in and he realizes that instead of like a quiet night oh, with yeah. Doctor Strange, That's the whole reason. there's a full party. That's the whole like, reason he's there and he shows up and it's like... He says, oh no, in this tiny panel, in this <laughs> tiny word bubble. Yeah, it's like two guys, a girl, a baby, and a Hulk. There's just a lot going on here and he clearly just wanted to like read ancient texts with Doctor Strange or something like that. Yeah. But... So, back at Elena's tenement, some nefarious dudes in green costume costumes fire some kind of cannon into the top floor of the building, where it lands in the room of a blind African-American man named Amos Ferret, who dies in the blaze. Yep. As, so rough. Yeah. As other people escape the building, and the green guys run off. 
uh, not long after the defenders arrive in full costume where they were co- they, they were going back to the the building to get some diapers and stuff for the baby. Yeah, and, and Strange and, wanted to check out how bad it was. Yeah. And they find that a fire department there and the entire building is basically burnt to a gutted shell. Yep. The uh the former residents stand on the street lamenting their lost possessions and and homes and then the building owner shows up and it's that no good Holloman guy. Such a greaseball. Oh my god, he immediately accuses the tenants of burning the building down to spite him or something. And this raises tensions, and they're raised even more when another African-American guy sort of confronts Holloman, maybe grabs his lapels or something, yep. and then Holloman, like, spits in, him, spits in his face, and that guy punches Holloman, and things are looking pretty bad, basically. Yeah, and Strange just sort of tries to de-escalate. He, like, levitates Holloman out of, out of the scuffle, and then him and Nightbeak or whatever try and break everything up. I know what I said. Yeah. <laughs> and then the green guys show up. Yep. They introduce themselves as the sons of the serpent. The worst people ever. Yeah, they're they're almost like comically racist. Almost. Uh, they judge Holloman to be innocent of wrongdoing. They call Nighthawk a race traitor, and. This leads to a scene that should sound very ominous if you know the Hulk. Uh, the leader of the Serpents says a bunch of white power stuff, ending with, For two decades, this nation has felt the tyranny of the non-white minority, but no more. White and only white is beautiful. And Hulk says, Only white? Hulk is not white. It took him a while to piece that together. And now it's fight time. Yeah. And there's actually a pretty huge brawl here between the defenders, the tenants of the building, and the serpent guys. Yeah, every hero's taking on like six dudes in each panel. Yeah, it's pretty good actually in terms of just beating up these racist guys, which is a pretty low calorie beat up, frankly. I think my favorite uh, Hulk move was when he punches the ground and it just call causes everyone to just go rocketing into the sky. Hulk ranged attacks are my favorite ones, whether it's hitting the ground to cause a big earthquake or like the hand clap. Yeah. We'll see it later in, in a later episode yeah. or a, a, a later issue. But so Dr. Strange is trying to basically keep people from getting killed. And so he uh, animates a bunch of fire hoses and have them sort of rip through the, the uh, combatants hitting friend and foe alike, separating everybody. Which I don't get. Like his, his teammates I, were doing something pretty on point yeah i think he's mostly worried about uh the tenants like the people like the regular people that are involved in this yeah. fight just because they don't have the protection that the rest of the re- members of the team do- does mm-hmm. and are sort of there and, and and can be end up being sort of cannon fodder against the serpents and i don't think he wants to you know he does he wants to keep them safe that's my guessing yeah if they were accidentally punched by the hulk they could die they could literally die yeah yeah, so I, and because and later he doesn't have a problem with anybody fighting the serpents. I think it's just that there's a bunch of civilians in the middle of the fight as well, you yep. know? So uh, the serpents call Strange a white traitor, and they make their escape. Um, it's interesting to see, I think, that, like, racist rhetoric hasn't changed a ton in the last 40 years. Like, it's it's interesting, but kind of sad also. I think, um, I think it's pretty on point. I think, you know, that yeah. sort of stuff is just tired and unintelligent. Now we're yeah. getting a little political yeah so i don't want to get too into it but mostly like these serpent guys they're bad guys i don't like them i want their hash to be settled next issue uh the yellow jacket returns yay him him and his shoulder cuffs (laughs) all right so we go to defenders 23 from may 1975 the snakes shall inherit the earth steve gerber writer sal buscema artist vince coletta inker June Braverman, letterer, Don Warfield, colorist, Len Wine, editor. Uh, so now's probably a good time to just sort of mention how the Sons of the Serpent get their name and their sort of mission statement. It's, uh, as the first serpent drove Adam and Eve from Eden, so shall we drive from this land the unfit, the foreign-born, the infirm. Which I'm not really sure that's how that Bible story actually works. Like, I don't think Eden is now Snake Town. Like, these these racist supervillains need to rethink their theology. That's all I'm saying. It's almost like that their viewpoint is uninformed. <laughs> Anyhow, the issue starts with Holloman running away, and then as the Defenders return to the Sanctum, there's a pair of serpents on the rooftop following the Defenders home. And they are then attacked by Hank Pym the Yellow Jacket. 
Which I didn't know he was the yellow jacket. I mean, I'm I'm sort of I playing mean, catch up on this comic book stuff, yeah. but yeah. I mentioned this last episode, but yeah, Hank Pym's got the superhero ADD, you know? <laughs> he's Ant-Man, he's Giant-Man, then and giant and in both Ant-Man and Giant-Man he can sort of become small and big. Yep. Then he can can become just big and that's Goliath. And then he can become and, and then there's Yellow Jacket, which where he also has a powerful ray gun and he can fly a little bit. And it can become small for short periods of time. And I always remember this costume as the one he used when he pretended to be a supervillain to blackmail the Wasp into marrying him under false pretenses. Whoa, that happened? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Avengers 60. Doctor Strange was there for the wedding to an ostensible supervillain. Wowzers. It's so weird. <laughs> That's rough. I do, I do yeah. kind of side with the idea. If I had superpowers, I would not be the same superhero for more than a year. I mean, Pym really changes super... He's got a lot of identities. Spider-Man should do that. Just cut ties. I mean, he should name himself, like, the good Spider-Bro. He definitely has has had trouble getting traction with his Spider-Man character. He's got enough different costumes to pick from. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So Yellow Jacket attacks these serpents. Uh, He knocks one out, and um, and the other one gets away, and Yellow Jacket sort of drags the body of the one he takes out to the Sanctum Sanctorum. The team interrogates the thug, and they learn that there will be a broadcast from the leader of the serpents at midnight that night. And if you were wondering, yes, Hulk is still playing with a baby. Yeah. I mean, you know, Hulk's trying to just experience a positive, uh, have, have some positive experiences, you know? I feel like that I, I relate to Hulk in the way that, like, when you were a kid and you were dragged over to your parents' friend's house, and you had to, like, keep yourself entertained. So <laughs> you just sort of do something. You were in the room with everyone, but you were not part of it. Yeah, I mean, the Hulk doesn't understand a lot of these, a, 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 a lot of the higher levels of most plots, you know. <laughs> Just you know, and he's the best. It's good times. Yeah, I love the Hulk. You know, he's yeah, pretty great. Yeah. So they like mind for so, this dude. Yeah. So so they whatever they interrogate him. They find out about the broadcast, and as the team waits for the witching hour, they notice a figure at the window, like last issue. Payoff time. Yeah, and this time Yellow Jacket like straight up shoots the guy with his uh, energy beam <laughs> through the window. And they, yeah, and they confront him, and ah, oh, geez, it's Jack Norris, the husband of Barbara Norris, which is the body that Valkyrie is currently inhabiting. And is is Barbara and, Norris just like gone for good? I thought that she was like lost somewhere within the Valkyrie. So my understanding is that because of the of what happened to her when she was spent a couple years in this dimension being the sort of unwilling mate of this evil god demon, the nameless one, like her personality basically broke and she just doesn't, she's not, like Barbara Norris doesn't really exist anymore. It's just kind of a lady who screams all day, essentially, because he's just gone through the worst possible trauma. That's rough. Yeah, so there's not really, so like Valkyrie was grafted onto her body, but there's not, she wasn't really grafted on top of anything. It was basically more like putting, taping something over a blank cassette or something like that, if that makes sense. Okay. But that's not what Jack Norris believes, because Jack Norris is the worst, and I hate him 100%. <laughs> oh, he's not. I mean, this is in contrast to the Sons of the Serpent in the same issue. Okay, yeah, that's true. Um, I, hate Jack, I hate Jack Norris as a comic book character. Yeah. And I feel like he's designed for me to dislike, so it's okay. <laughs> but when he shows up, this freaks Valkyrie out quite a bit, and she basically runs upstairs and um, doesn't want to deal with anybody. Um, and finally, we get to midnight, and the serpents take over the nation's airwaves to play their infomercial, basically. And uh, you're going to have to sort of fill me on the, in on this, uh, what they say, because it's, it turns into a wall of text with a single picture. Yeah. It's the thing they did in Giant Size Defenders 3, where there's a picture and then a whole bunch of text, like just like paragraphs and stuff. Yeah. And the paragraphs are white letters on black background, and it's really hard to read in the format that we're looking at these comics. I also, I feel, probably from, from school, anytime that there are two like parallel lines of text, that just reminds me of like a history book, and I just t- dip out. It's really, I mean, like I said last time, like if I wanted to read paragraphs, I would not be reading comics. Yeah. You know, I find this to be not cool. You know? <laughs> also, I just want, kind of wanted to mention that it, this is a, I feel like this is kind of an interesting pre-internet thing. 
Like, if you were a supervillain up until, like, 2005 or something, if you wanted to tell everybody your manifesto, you had to find some way to take control of the nation's television waves for, like, five minutes. Whereas now you can just put something out, out on YouTube or something. Yep. And, every, and, and, and it has the same reach, you know? Mm-hmm. But so, basic. so I'll paraphrase, but the announcement is has a bunch of... Your basic racist dog yeah, role. I'm pretty sure they're just they're still racists. Yeah, they're launching a crusade to purify the United States, starting in New York City. Um, and it just really, um, it just really cements these guys as being bad and evil. You know. Yep. Um, also, Yellow Jacket sort of said uh, tell lets us know that actually the Avengers fought a different version of the uh, Sons of the Serpent um, at, in a previous um, episode of the Avengers, and they wonder what their motivation for race war might be. Nighthawk thinks it might have something to do with Holloman, as was kind of convenient that his building was burned down. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of offering him a business deal that might have involved that address as well. But plans to investigate are paused because there's a huge rumble and a giant firebomb goes off in lower Manhattan. The serpents have struck. So Yellowjacket takes command, and he and Hulk set up to stop the fire, while Val, Nighthawk, and Doctor Strange head out to question Holloman, and then Jack will stay behind and whine about everything. <laughs> I love how the Hulk puts out fires because it's just him exploding buildings. Well, that's the, uh, that's the uh, strategy Yellow Jacket explains to him. Right. I mean, it's like, we've got to make a barricade. But yes, it does. They do definitely play to his strengths of um, building destruction. Yep. <laughs> Meanwhile, Yellow Jacket plays to his strengths of saving two people and then twisting his ankle Irreparably. <laughs> There's a couple ineffective superheroes on the... Like, the effectiveness rating of the Defenders really varies wildly. Doesn't he... He twists his ankle because the Hulk does that supersonic clap we were talking about. Yeah, sorry, yeah. So the Hulk fights fire also by supersonic clapping with the Wind of Witch put, uh, puts out the fire. I bet Hank Pym was, like, really embarrassed, which is why he's no longer Yellow Jacket. He's, like, oh. he's really, like, he's having a terrible day today. <laughs> because he's immediately then knocked out by the Sons of the Serpent and taken hostage. <laughs> yep. So meanwhile, uh, the rest of the defenders go to Holloman's house and rough him up. He swears he wasn't involved, and they believe him, so this seems like a dead end. They return to help the Hulk and the Yellow Jacket and find them under attack by the serpents. They're, they're under attack by serpents, literally, because the thugs unleash these crazy robot snakes on the Hulk. Which is like the only time they use them. Yeah. But anyhow, uh, the whole Defenders team gets knocked out and taken captive. They, the entire like Serpent army basically turns its guns and weapons on the Hulk and manages to knock him out. And they leave him behind, slowly turning back into Banner. This is a big mistake. <laughs> well, he's just a normal now, dude now. Yeah, they, they go away before they see that he's a normal dude. Next, the Serpent sheds its skin. Why wouldn't you even like take the Hulk with you. I mean, this is the grand tradition of these Defenders things, where the Hulk either leaves or people decide not to take the Hulk hostage. It happened when, uh, it happened when Atlantis attacked, too. Like, Hulk just jumped away. Yeah, but that, I mean, that makes sense. If he's just gonna dip out, no one's gonna stop him. But he's, you've managed to render the Hulk unconscious. You're not yeah. gonna do anything with that? I You're think they Hulk. leave and don't, they don't see him turning back. And that the fact that the Hulk turns back into a dude isn't like a well-known fact among people. Uh-huh. And so I think they think they'll just be taking the Hulk hostage. And that, and sort of having an unconscious Hulk sort of in handcuffs in your broom closet seems like it's an accident waiting to happen, basically. <laughs> Fair enough. So we go to Defenders 24 from June 1975. In the Jaws of the Serpent. Steve Gerber, writer, Sal Buscema, artist, Bob McLeod, inker, Tom Orzakowski, letterer, Phil Rachelson, colorist, Len Wein, editor. So we open with four members of our team, uh, Dr. Strange, who is knocked out and will stay that way for the rest of the issue. Yeah, uh, Valkyrie, Yellow Jacket, and Nighthawk held captive at the Sons of the Serpent base, tied to posts by these big metal snake things. It looks kind of cool, actually. Yeah, aesthetically, um, it's pretty on point. Yeah. For, I mean, for evil racist jerks, they know how to do their branding. Like, everything's very on brand for these guys. <laughs> they do kind of anyway, look like, There's one dude in the shot that just looks oh. so much like Judge Dredd. They, they have very dready helmets, just with sort of the visor that comes down over their nose and stuff. Yeah. Which actually... No, no, because Judge Dredd wouldn't be around for another two years or so. Anyhow. Judge Dredd was based on racists. You found it out here. 
I mean, Judge, you know, Judge Dredd's more satirical than a lot of people think, I think. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, so the, ra- the leader of the serpents gloats. He calls them, tr- uh, you know, white traitors, and he lays out his grand plan for destroying all the ghettos and barrios in the cities of the U.S., which will force minorities and the unfit to become refugees and move into the suburbs, which will in turn force whites to have to fight them for resources, and the whites will conquer, because all white people live in the suburbs and all non-whites live in the city, I guess. Such an conceived plan. It's a terrible plan. Their plan hinders (laughs) on all of the white people in the suburbs killing minorities instead of, like, welcoming them into their homes. I mean, I mostly know, just know the plans of these guys and, like, Charles Manson, but any time a plan involves, like, oh, and then there'll be a race war, it's not a very well-thought-out plan. Right. I guess. You're missing, like, steps two through six. Something. But so, while the uh, leader of the Sons is monologuing, Valkyrie manages to just blow out of the uh, serpent containers and starts wrecking the house. So cool. Yeah, she's only stopped because one of the sons of the serpent turns out to be a daughter of the serpent, and Valkyrie can't hurt women, so she ends up getting shot in the back and knocked out again. And just to note that the sons of the serpent use, like, energy blasters, I guess? Mm-hmm. Which is a comics code thing, I'm pretty sure. Like, you can't use guns in comic books because of the comics code. Yeah, that's why they all look so weird. They've got, like, weird fins off of all of them. Yeah, because they're all energy blasters, and they got to look like that, basically. Yeah. So, back at the Sanctum Sanctorum, Bruce Banner shows up, and he convinces Clea to put out a mental distress call to all former guest stars and team members. You could probably leave out Hawkeye, though. They, they mention him, but he's not necessary. You know, let's not risk it. Uh, she manages to she managed to actually reach uh, Daredevil and Son of Satan, who both start making their way there. Uh, Damon Hellstrom in his sweet three horse chariot, three horse hell chariot. This guy's cool. Like he looks lame as heck. He's like a a I don't know, like a fan recreation of Aquaman or something. He's shirtless and caped, which is a weird combination. Yeah. He also has. His hair is like parted down uh, down the middle, and it, and the guy has devil horn hair thing. Yep, it's odd, but I kind of dig it. I think that they yeah. just fully like leaned in on this character, and and I appreciate them for it. He's gonna be not now, but maybe like around episode fifteen or seventeen or something, become a pretty big part of the team. Hopefully, he'll get some shirts. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> But so both um, Son of Satan and Daredevil start making their way there, but then Clea is sort of overcome by using the magic to contact people. So Banner decides to make a regular distress call <laughs> and uh, calls Luke Cage up on the phone. Who was not really pleased. Well, he had a bad, meet- he had a bad meeting with the, le- with the defenders previously, like things didn't go his way. Mm-hmm. But he agrees to help out when he finds out that they're after the guys that did the firebombing. And there's a, actually a pretty awesome moment where um, both Luke Cage and Daredevil kind of show up at the Sanctum Sanctorum and, like, shake hands. And are like, well, I guess we're going to be su- uh, superheroing together. I'm like, yep, you seem like a regular guy. Yeah, it's okay. And then <laughs> Son of Satan comes flying in on this flaming chariot drawn by three demon horses. It's pretty cool. It's a great contrast. And they're just like... What are we getting into here? Daredevil especially, because he can't see anything. He's just like, I am freaking out right now. Yeah, he gets freaked out by like how some Satan has like two hearts or something, yeah. and just all this stuff. <laughs> so back at uh, Sons of the Serpent HQ, Yellow Jacket makes an, es- an escape attempt using his shrinking ability, because remember, he is also Ant-Man. And Giant and he Man said, and Colossus. Uh, Goliath, actually. Yeah. And Wolverine. Colossus is a different guy. <laughs> and Gambit. So he- I don't want to talk about Gambit. He starts, Gambit? You don't like him? He starts investigating around and finds out that they're in this secret base deep under the Atlantic Ocean, which is going to make it hard to escape. Yeah, he was going to try and shrink his way out, Monami, but it didn't work. Mm. Meanwhile, the guest star defenders are interrogating the captured serpent again. It's inconclusive and interrupted by Elena, who comes running in sort of Bender-style, something's happening on television. (laughs) Uh, They come in onto Jack Norris, already watching TV and then running off. That's all he's good for. Yeah, it's true. There's a really awesome moment where 
all of the team looks at the TV at once and everybody says their sort of excla- their, their trademark exclamation. Yep, they take turns. <laughs> like, Eyes of Oster, by the Hedean Chimes, Great Scott, Sweet Sister. Yo, Bruce Banner, that's not yours. He's just borrowing it. He doesn't have a lot of exclamations because he doesn't really talk that much in dangerous I situations. Wish, I wish just once Bruce Banner would be like, oh, Hulk smash! <laughs> also... It's also kind of funny that um, Daredevil is kind of waiting, or d- doesn't make an exclamation, sort of waiting around for someone to describe what's happening on TV. Because <laughs> yeah. he can't watch it. He's blind. <laughs> it's like, like, maybe I can't see it. I don't know. Yeah. But, he's, he's kind of glad that he can't. Yeah. but So what's going on basically is um, in the middle of a street in, in, in New York, they've... Uh, crucified Valkyrie, like just tying her down, not with nails, but they've tied her to an upside down cross over a big pyre. And all the sons of the serpent are going to like set her on fire and burn her for being a race traitor or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty bad. It like sends Bruce Banner instantly into Hulk mode and everybody rushes to the scene. Also, as they're rushing to the scene, uh, Luke Cage is in the chariot, just barely holding on. Yeah. (laughs) Just, like everyone's flying off and chariot and Luke Cage is like just got hands on the front of the chariot like ah like his feet are definitely not yeah you can see his feet not on the ground. Yeah. I mean I don't understand sort of the logistics of that. It seems like he would be burned by that, but maybe he's just got a pass. Yeah, I don't really know. I can't tell you the specific rules of how Sons of Satan works. Mm-hmm. But so as the team arrive, uh, Son of Satan and Luke Cage, who's of course riding shotgun in the chariot, are suddenly swallowed up by some sort of portal in the air. So it's just Daredevil and the Hulk against this army of serpents. All they needed, though. I mean, there's a really solid team fighting here. Yeah. But eventually, Daredevil gets cracked in the back of the head and knocked out. And Hulk gets hit by a blaster, which blinds him. And it's ironic, of course, because the blind ray wouldn't have worked on Daredevil. But now, Hulk is out of the fight (laughs) as the pyre beneath Val starts to grow. Next issue, the serpent uncoils. But that's not the next issue. I mean, the next is um, I like like I don't usually say the next <laughs> if it's not if it's actually the title of the next issue. Fair enough. I just think it's fun to sort of you know it's a cliffhanger. Yeah. So we go to Defenders twenty five from January nineteen seventy five. The serpent sheds its skin, which was actually the next of like three episodes. And you could also say this one is called Three Stand Beside Them, which is. The cover issue. So you have anyway, three names to pick from, listeners, so just choose whichever it, one. Yeah, it's true. You know, whatever. Uh, Steve Gerber's the writer, Sal Buscema artist, Jack Abel inker, Ray Holloway letterer, Petra Goldberg colorist, Len Wine editor. So we open with Luke Cage and Hellstrom aboard Damon's Hell Chariot as they travel through the portal they went through last issue, which turns out to have been opened by Clea, and now the guys arrive through space and time, coming out of the eye of Doctor Strange's amulet into the Sons of Serpent, ba- the Sons of Serpent base. All right, I think it's super rad. It's cool, man. I just like because the Strange's amulet is maybe like palm sized, and the eye in it like opens up, and then this huge chariot and like three horses and two dudes come flying out of it. Yeah. Also, Luke Cage uses the word Christmas as like an exclamation, and I'm totally adopting that. Luke Cage, like, 70s Luke Cage has the greatest exclamation. It's all sweet sister and sweet Christmas and stuff. That's pretty good. Christmas is pretty sweet. I mean, all of the winter solstice holidays are sweet, but... Yeah, no, it's... Yeah. (laughs) You don't gotta, you know, don't feel bad just because we're fighting these racists, Duncan. (laughs) I I have to work extra hard against these... These snake people are so awful. They're bad. And so, so... with Luke Cage and Hellstrom there, they're able to quickly free the rest of the team and wake up Doctor Strange and then use Damien Hellstrom's like secret passage finder, basically, with his mystic um, pitchfork to start making their way to freedom. I was thinking about this, and I, I wonder, like, do I think that Damien is cool just because they, like, gave him all of, like, the action points? You know, like, it's, it's him that, mm-hmm. like, frees Stephen Strange and, and has this, like, flaming chariot and, like finds their way out but they're definitely making an effort to make him be very cool in this like storyline yeah they're they're pushing him over i think it's because i think he was in he had his own comic that was doing kind of bad at this point so they're sort of trying to also use the defenders to push like hey like check out this other comic book yeah was it like a uh, so fairy sue or whatever maybe <laughs> i don't know i think he's rad he's got this yeah uh, hell no, trident. I think it, 
Yeah, I think Hellstrom's cool, man. There's going to be... I was like, I spent some part of this week sort of reading ahead and stuff, and there's really crazy Son of Satan stuff, like in later Defenders issue. I'm down. Like, he has issues with his dad. You'd be surprised <laughs> to learn. Of all the dads to have issues with. Yeah. And then he gets involved with Hellcat, basically just because of that of the name thing, I think. <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get to it, faithful listener. We'll get to it, like, maybe actually around Christmas. <laughs> sweet, sweet Christmas. Yeah. So back in Harlem, uh, Daredevil's being where this big pyre is. Daredevil's being tossed on the pyre. And Blind Hulk is kind of lashing out ineffectually. Um, but then Daredevil wakes up. Yeah, he wakes up and he kind of gets free. And he's like, what's going on? What, I, what am I going to do? Uh, the head serpent is going to light the pyre more, I guess. I don't know. Because <laughs> it's already burning, but he goes to light it. And it's like a big deal. But then uh, Jack Norris uh, runs in. And puts him in a headlock. Yeah. One of the few cool things Jack will ever do. And this is why he just sort of ekes out. Yeah. But so, seeing a random dude stand up against these guys, sort the serpents, inflames the crowd. Oh, this, this based on their dialogue. Yeah. Based on their dialogue, they seem okay with like regular everyday racism, but not with super racism. Yeah. Like I think I think the money quote is a. Uh, I mean, I got no love for the ne- the blacks, but, I mean, Jesus Christ. It's so awful. There's also, I want to say, one of the dudes looks like the goon, and I just am putting that in my canon. Yeah. But so, basically, like, this is, kind of, so, like, this, like, the crowd sort of turning against the Sons of the Serpent moment and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a nice moment, but, obviously, everybody stay woke. That's basically what I want to say, yeah. you know? Yep. And also, like, I guess... Just because they're in New York, they're the most fightingest group of like random civilians there could be. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. The uh, the serpents get beat and an escape Cobra style. <laughs> yeah. It's a snake reference. <laughs> um, and uh, the Hulk's vision returns in time for them to cut Valkyrie down. The other defenders, uh, Doctor Strange, Nighthawk, Luke Cage, Son of Satan, and Yellow Jacket, come to an end of the secret passages from the Sons of Serpent base and find themselves in like a nice office. Uh, the office of Nighthawk's business manager, Pennyworth. What? <laughs> They're questioning, but then they find all their super gear in Pennyworth's closet. He must be behind the serpents. Aw, oh, jeez, it's showdown time. Nighthawk's also so distraught that he just, like, lets his secret identity drop. Nighthawk is real loose with his secret identity. Yeah. He's told, he tells a lot of people really early. He's a pretty crummy Batman. So, yeah, it's showdown time. But uh, first... Hey, let's go to a mobile home in oh part of the gosh. woodlands of California, <laughs> where a young couple, Tom and Linda Pritchett, are grooving out to Bob Denver tunes. There's a knock at the door. Tom goes to answer, though he and Linda aren't expecting anyone. Tom opens the door, and it's an elf with a gun. Blam! So anyhow, uh, nope, Nighthawk nope, is super nope, duper pissed, nope, and he goes flying <laughs> full force into the front door. Of pe- what? Well, no, you what? <laughs> what just happened? This is a page dedicated to a gnome with a gun. You're my captain. You're the leader of this ship of rogues. What happened? I don't know. No, dude, yeah, Nighthawks busts through the front door no. of Pennyworth's house. <laughs> no, there's an elf that's really pissed off, and he shoots these people because I guess he doesn't like folk music or something. So anyhow, uh, Nighthawk starts confronting Pennyworth, uh. and he's like punching him. He reveals himself that Nighthawk's actually like Kyle Richmond. And the big twist, Pennyworth is a black dude. No! Uh. It's crazy. He's like, how could you do this to your own people? And Pennyworth kind of rejects um, African-Americans as his own people. And he explains that the whole Sons of the Serpent thing is a scheme to make more money, both for himself and for Kyle Richmond. This is one of those moments that like really pulled me out of it, even more so than the elf with a gun. Just because it's like, you've got a group of white people writing this sort of story, and, and it mm-hmm. just it seems so, so ham-fisted. Yeah. yeah. Although I think... So like I'll try to I'll try to save it a little bit by talking by by, by mentioning hey, good luck. that this this could be kind of a like not not the Pennyworth being black thing which is just ridiculous but a general sort of indictment of the billionaire playboy superhero mm-hmm. like just in and how it's sort of a a hypocritical stance or something like a a a, a, a billionaire superhero 
is trying to fight social injustice, but does it by basically spending billions of dollars on super suits and punching people in the face instead of actually like putting his money where his mouth is and doing the things that would actually stop things like systemic crime and poverty and things like that. So like this idea that, you know, a billion eight that uh, Kyle Richmond, who's a billionaire and spends all of his time being Nighthawk. So he sort of foists, his business responsibilities onto someone else and that someone else then being responsible for supervillainy essentially is sort of an interesting like cause cause and effect of those things like if you just sort of look at you know if superheroes were real i guess and like why this is sort of a problematic a problematic backstory for a superhero and way that superheroes go i guess and i mean still, it's not the, i mean it's not the best you and bring man, a valid point but it still is so so it's pretty ham-fisted, and it's basically like these like these guys are trying to make a like Steve Gerber's trying to make a point, and there's no way it could have been non-problematic, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to sort of see where he is and sort of get a sense of like how this makes sense from the lens of someone in like 1975 trying to tell the stories with what they have, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it it really hasn't aged well, and it's real bad. It's real like rough. Yeah. Um. But so anyhow, Pennyworth uh, spills the beans and gets an, ex- an extremely satisfying punch in the face from Luke Cage. And then it allows the combined defenders and guest stars to descend on the Sons of Serpent HQ and Wreck Shop. And Wreck Shop they do in a whole like two-page spread. Yeah. It's also a little ironic that um, the serpents get their imagery and motto and stuff from the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And that's like Damon Hellstrom's dad. <laughs> Like, he's super pissed, because he's like, hey, man, don't use my dad for racism. <laughs> he hates everyone. <laughs> so, with the bad guys beaten, uh, Nighthawk basically just takes off, because he's got to think about what's going on with his life, basically. Yeah. Because, if you're, again, if your lifestyle leads to super racism, it's time to rethink that lifestyle. That's basically it. We end this issue next. The Guardians of the Goddamn Galaxy. <laughs> so let's let's take a little break just to cool off from this storyline. Distance ourselves from the elves and the racists. And uh, we'll come back. In, um, so I'll play a song and we'll come back and we'll get to uh, Giant Size Defenders 5. Until then, I'm Conrad, he's Duncan, and we are Stranger by the Dozen. <laughs> 